Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Well, good morning. I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. We're starting over. After uh, a study that began in September of 2014, we completed it last week, and today we're going to just hit some lessons and some highlights. You know, I was thinking as we sung that last song there, how much that, you know, there's lots of songs you can sing that um, are kind of goals in your life, you know, like, uh, I want to follow you all the days or every day of my life, and you say, well, I don't always do that, but I'm singing that as a desire, not as a reality. But in many ways, the song we just sung is true of this church. One of the things I appreciate about you is the demand you have that the Word of God be preached on a Sunday. And, uh, and the demand that's there is very strong. Um, you know, never a complaint if we're in the middle of a study and, and it leaks on in timing. At least to me, you haven't complained uh, openly, <laughs> um, which I appreciate that too. Um, but, uh, but a desire to know God's Word to want to jump in the deep end of the pool, to understand it, to be, you know, hugely uh, impacted by that. And, and it's amazing from a pastoral perspective when you stand up, uh, if, if you had to stand up each week knowing that you had people who didn't want to hear the Word of God, uh, that's a real deep conflict. So I appreciate that tremendously. And I know everyone who stands up here uh, feels the, the freedom and the burden of that. Uh, there's a freedom that we can say what God says and trust His Spirit to apply it. There's a burden then that uh, you don't want gimmicks, you don't want games, you don't want shortcuts, and you've got to do your work. And, and it's one of the things I appreciate about you, the demand that you put on the Word of God. And, and so we sang that last song, and I think it's a true song for this church that you want the Word of God to be preached. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. We've had these kind of formats before. Uh, we're going to do some lessons, some reviews on the, uh, what we've learned from Acts over the past year and a half. I can't anticipate you remembering everything we studied over the past uh, year and a half, but I do feel like there are some key lessons that I recorded along the way that I want to share with you. And as we do that, um, I want to encourage us through that process. And I've divided those lessons up into three categories. And as we go through those three categories, what we're going to do is I'm going to talk about them and then... Uh, and then apply it to KBC directly, and then we'll sing in response. The worship team will come back out, and we'll sing as a church just to, you know, uh, respond in song together, and then I'll come back up and do the next thing and the next topic, and, and we'll just kind of go down that, that path together that way, and uh, in, in both hearing the word, uh, applying it, and responding in song. And we're going to walk through our service that way. Uh, just picking up some lessons from Acts because, you know, one thing that uh, you have as a preacher is not only the joy of knowing that, uh, you know, we're in a place where you want to hear the word preached, but there's also reality that the end goal isn't the sermon, right? The end goal isn't what happens right here. Uh, the end goal uh, of, of any preaching sermon is that our lives would be changed, right? The end goal is that we would see God differently. The end goal is that we'd see the world differently. The end goal is that we'd see ourselves differently and that we would walk out of here different and changed and, and, and renewed so that the glory of Christ would be made known everywhere. And, uh, and so I want to make sure that we do that and, 
and that we focus on some lessons we should be picking up along the way in Acts. Now, I have divided the lessons up into three categories. When looking at Acts, I've made some observations about what it means to be a Christian, the call of the, the believer, made some observations of the mission, right? Acts is about the expansion of the gospel. And I made some observations about the church itself. And, uh, and so we'll go through those. Like I said, we'll first look at the, the call or what does it mean to be a Christian. And, uh, and as we go through those, like I said, we'll apply them and we'll sing in response. And, and hopefully out of that, we get just a real sense of what God is doing. We are in a uh, state of transition, as you well know, as we're transitioning into being missionaries sent by you. And so we go from, from being pastor to being missionary, still being in relationship with you, but we're in the midst of this transition, and transitions are difficult. They bring anxiety and worry and all kinds of things, but the great thing about the book of Acts is it knows transition, right? The book of Acts is all about transition. The book of Acts is all about the movement of the gospel and, and all that takes place, and, uh, and so this book will speak to us directly in light of the state that we're in as a church right now. So let's begin. I want to first look at the call. I made a couple observations about what does, what does it mean to be a Christian, the call. When the word call is used in the Bible, most of the time it's just referring to you being called to, to be a Christian. The word call isn't usually referenced to like a calling, like what is your job. It's actually in reference to the fact that you've been called out of the world and into Christ's body. You, you have a calling. The calling is you now belong to Jesus. So what is that mission? How is it defined? I made two observations about the call. Two observations about the call in Acts. And I want to give those to you. The first observation that I made is about our mission itself. As we studied Acts, and, and, that, and that was this, that, that our mission is to make disciples who will gather into churches. Now, the unique thing is that we know about making disciples, but sometimes we forget that the call of us as disciples is, is as we make disciples that we should be bringing them into the body of Christ. God doesn't see discipleship as just me and you meeting in a coffee shop for the rest of your life so that you would just become a better person. The ultimate call of discipleship is that you would become part of the body of Christ so that the glory of Christ would be made known. And so the call of disciple-making isn't just finding somebody who makes you a better Christian. The call of discipleship is, is finding somebody who brings you into the fullness of the body of Christ. Let me show this to you in Acts. First, we see the call. <clears throat> Look at verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but Jesus is talking to the disciples. They want to know, when is the kingdom to come? Right there, They're thinking about the glorious restoration of the kingdom of God on earth. They're envisioning a throne. They're envisioning this incredible thing. And, and they're, they're wanting the consummation of the ages to come. And so they're like, when is this going to come? When is this going to come? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know. Here's what I want you to obsess on. Don't obsess on the consummation of the ages. Verse 8, here's what I want you to obsess on. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What I want you to realize, and we're just going to look at one aspect of this in a minute here. We'll unpack it in full later. You will be my witness. And when we studied this 
A year and a half ago, we, 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 we identified the fact the word witness means martyr. It's actually the word martyr. And it didn't actually mean someone who died at first. It actually meant somebody who just bore testimony. It was the Christians that turned the word martyr into being killed because they were going to bear testimony to their own death of the glory of Jesus. And he's saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to bear witness of me everywhere in the world. And the way that it's written is he says, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, not progressively. It doesn't say start in Jerusalem, then move to Judea and Samaria, then move to the earth. I want you to think about everything all the time. And, and, and. Where you live, your region, the world, you are to bear testimony of me everywhere, all the time. That's the message. That's what I want you to do. Now, they do this, right? In chapter 2, you could flip over to chapter 2. The Spirit comes upon them. Peter preaches the gospel. And a whole bunch of people get converted. And notice what Acts 2.42 says about them. He preaches Christ. He bears witness to Christ. And in Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The response of the gospel was that it brought people into community with each other. And in that community, that community was focusing on the teaching of the apostles, which is another way of saying what they were proclaiming about Jesus, about Christ. That's what they were focused on. They were focused on fellowship, being together. They were focusing on the breaking of bread, which I think is more than just eating. I think it involves the, the Lord's table. And they were focused on prayers, praying together. They prayed daily, it says. The call of a disciple is not an independent call. I remember somebody saying to me one time when we were ministering in Alaska, he says, I don't know why I need more than Jesus, my Bible, and my boat. And my response was, because Jesus is building his church. And if you don't love what Jesus loves, it's kind of hard to say that you love him. And that you're going to be in fellowship with him. I've used this illustration here before. If you tell me that you hate my wife, it's going to be hard to be BFFs with you. Okay? If you don't love what I love, it's hard. Jesus loves the church, and he calls us to be part of this body. Now, we'll unpack this more later. But this is what the call is. And so the recognition that, that my call of disciple-making, my call of witness-bearing, my call of bearing testimony of Jesus isn't just an individual thing. I meet Ben somewhere, I share Christ with Ben, and I meet with Ben at a Starbucks every morning at 6 a.m. until either Ben or I die. That's not the goal. The goal is to say, I want Ben to be part of the fellowship. I want to pull him into relationship. I want him to know what it is to, to commune and to sing and to break bread and to do the Lord's table and to, 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 to be one with this thing that Christ is building, his church. If Christ loved the church and died for the church, then it's hard for us to say that we love Christ if we don't love what he loves. And so disciple-making is passing that on. It's passing that on. If the church isn't part of your disciple-making process with people, you've missed the hugest, hugest? Is hugest a word? The biggest? The largest? You know? If it's not a word, we're going to make it one today. The hugest thing that there is. Okay, now, 
There's a second observation that made about the call of disciples. Okay, so we got our mission. I know that I've got to bear witness to Jesus. They're going to make disciples of the nations, that I'm going to pull them in to the very body of Christ. But there's a second element. There's also our power. Where does the power come from? Well, the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers and guides this process. Notice back at Acts 1.8 again. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end, end of the earth. It's amazing to think about that statement. You'll receive power. You know, the work of, of, of proclaiming Christ, the work of making disciples, the work of, of, of being a witness of Jesus is pretty hard. And it's intimidating. And for many of us, it's a scary thing. I remember early on in ministry, I did one of these, I did a hospital visit early on. I was maybe 25 years old. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I had studied a lot of doctrine and a, a lot of New Testament Greek, and I had a lot of facts in my head. And, and, but yet, you know, now I'm going to the hospital of a guy who's dying. And I showed up to the room, and he died right there in front of me. And, and the family's standing there, and they're all looking at me. I don't know what to say. Somebody asked me about the hypostatic union. I'm ready for that answer. I don't know what to do at that moment. It's very intimidating as you stand there and you're put on the spot. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've not had that kind of experience, but there's a, a terror a little bit about taking a step out and bearing witness. It, it could be, what if they ask me this question? It could be, what if they corner me? It could be, what if they hate it? What if... You know, whatever. There's a million what-ifs. I experience them as a pastor. I experience them when somebody comes and dumps something down or, or they say, hey, you're a pastor. What about this? And they, they put you on the spot at a party. And all of a sudden, everyone's looking. Respond. And you're like, wow, I, wasn't, I was actually thinking about the Chicago Bears and trading Matt Forte. I wasn't actually thinking about that question at that moment. What, I don't know how to respond. We all face them because we're human, right? We face it because we're human. This is why Jesus said, I'm going to send you out to be my witness, but I'm not sending you alone. You're not alone. The very Spirit of God is present when you do the work. The very Spirit of God is present. And it's amazing. One of the great things to do is to study the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Study it. Let me throw some verses out to you. I think they'll be on the screen here. They should be. Um, there's some verses on there you could just look at about the Holy Spirit right there. You can see those verses. Chapter 8, verse 26. Chapter 8, verse 39. Chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. Chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. Chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. Chapter 18, verses 9 through 11. Chapter 27, verses 23 through 26. Those are just a few. You can look those up and see that God did not leave his people alone in the work. That the very Spirit is guiding, and it wasn't just a promise to these folks in Acts. This is the promise as the apostles handed the ministry off to the next generation, and they handed them off saying the very Spirit of God is there. He indwells you. He empowers you. He's been given to you. And so you can be a witness of Jesus. The what-ifs become irrelevant. They become irrelevant when you realize that God himself is with you and you're not alone. So what does this mean? Let me give an application and then we're going to sing in response to this. What does this mean for the church? 
couple things. Number one, uh, the church can be an easy target because the church is filled with sinners. I can stand back and I can say, well, that church over there, they do this, and the church does this, and that, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I can just sit there and I can go to a pastor's conference and say, well, my church, oh my, you wouldn't believe what happened in my church. It's easy for the church to be a target because gathered in this room are people who sin. At least once a week, we sin. Right? Gathered in this room, this happens. And, and it's easy to see that we are not perfected yet. We are becoming perfected. And it's easy to take shots at the church. And when people want to take shots at the church, it's easy to roll your eyes and go, yeah, I know. Let's not do that. Christ died for the church. He's building his church. And, and what our focus should be is Christ and the church. And, and let's remember that as we meet with people. Let's remember that as we raise our children. Let's remember that, that, that we don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. We don't have to be with God's body. We get to be with God's body. Right? It's a privilege, and, and, and we want to make sure we're passing that on to people in our discipleship process. But as you go out and make disciples, as you go out to the world, remember you don't go alone. You don't go alone. Christ is, is there. The Spirit has been given to you, and you have that power with you. And so you might say, I don't want to go because I'm scared. I don't want to bear testimony. I don't know what to say. The reality is, don't worry. The Spirit of God is present. In my years of doing this, He has never, ever been asleep. And the words have always been there. I want to just make some shift gears now and, uh, and shift to the mission. Some observations about the mission of the church. There, you know, as we studied Acts... There are a few things that I, that, I, that I noticed about the church on mission that is a, a very powerful uh, component that, that has challenged us and has challenged me personally and actually is what kind of led to all these things taking place and all this transition. Probably if we hadn't studied Luke-Acts, things would be different. But, but this text and, and these passages have really personally gripped me. And, uh, and, and so I want to make some of these observations. First thing I want to, to make is this simple point. When, when we studied Acts, I noticed that the mission of the gospel involves movement and multiplication. And in fact, I want to add a word in there. I thought about this last night. I actually want to add this word. It involves movement, I'm sorry, it involves mission, mess, and movement and multiplication. Or you can say, Movement, mess, and multiplication. I don't care. Just put mess in there somewhere. Okay? I would add the word mess in there. And the reason why, let me, let me kind of show this to you. Let's unpack this. So, so they're to go out to the world. Acts 1-8, we studied that. They're to go out and they're to tell people, bear witness of Christ. And as they go out, they're to go to the ends of the earth, which is just a poetic way of saying, you're to cover the whole earth with the glory of Christ, with the message of the gospel. You're to go out and, and see this happen. Now, this particular work is pretty vast when you think about it, right? I mean, if, if the burden for every generation is to bring the gospel to the earth, which is kind of the way I read it, until the end, the burden of every generation, bring the gospel to the whole earth, un, and, then, until, and you pass that on to the next generation, and the next generation, until Jesus says, all right, it's done. It's the end of the age. So if that is true, then there's going to have to be movement. 
Right? It would be very difficult to be responsible with that if no one went anywhere. And so what happens? They, they went out. Paul is sent out. Barnabas is sent out. They go out on a mission. But one of the unique things that they had to do was they had to appoint leaders from within the communities that they worked because they have to keep going. The mission has to keep going. It isn't just go start one church and then you're done. These guys have to keep going, which means there's a need for indigenous leadership. So you see this in Acts 14. This is one of the observations we studied when Paul was in Lystra. Acts 14, 23, it says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them uh, to the Lord in whom they had believed. So Paul and his team is going into a place, and, and their focus isn't, is, to, is to bear witness to Christ, to see disciples formed, to form into a church, and then to see local leaders come up to shepherd that body so that they could go on. So that they could go on and keep doing this. Now here's the reality. Mission requires movement. Movement creates a mess. It creates a void. And the one thing that hit me as we were studying Acts was that the, new, the epistles, the letters that were written to the churches were written because of the mess that movement creates. Paul goes to a place and then he leaves the place and then false teachers come in and he's got to write a letter to that place and say, guys, don't believe those people. They're bad. If Paul had stayed there, he would have fought off all those false teachers. But he's gone. And the leaders in that church are beginning to get pulled in and so he writes the letter to the Galatians saying, don't listen to these guys. Don't listen to them. But they're in this mess because of the movement. But one of the realities is that in mess comes people who have to step into the void. Could you imagine a church where either Paul or Barnabas or Paul and Timothy came and started that church and then they left? Could you imagine the hole that must create in your church? I mean, if you had the apostle, you got the guy who writes the Bible in your church, right? I mean, like that is like the best pastor ever. He doesn't preach the Bible. He writes it, right? He's there. He's writing the Bible. This guy could answer every question. He could do it all. Could you imagine the day he steps out and says, now you guys take over. Uh, yeah, right. This is a huge hole you've left for us, Paul. No, it isn't. This is God's plan. Paul steps out. A little mess happens. Leaders emerge. And what happens? The church begins to function and operate and go. And then it expands because Paul's able to go to the next place and do the same thing and step out. And all of a sudden, the church is expanding and growing and bearing testimony. And yes, is it messy? Yes. Our New Testament was written to clean up the messes that movement creates. But movement is important. And the goal of the church is not to avoid the mess, but to step into the mess. Right? To step into it. And to be faithful in it. And to say, all right, we're now going to step up and fill that void so that this gospel work can continue because it's our responsibility to bring the gospel to the edges of the earth in our generation. And we'll pass it on to our children until Jesus says, enough, it's done. We've reached the end of the age. Now this then leads us to a second observation. Second observation 
is that the mission involves an indigenous workforce. Now, let me explain this to you. This is another observation made from Acts. And here, here's something to consider. If the goal is to bring the gospel to the edges of the earth to the end of the age, um, we don't have enough workforce here in Kishwaukee Bible Church to do that, do we, right? We can't just say everyone's going. All right, everyone pack your bags. This half's going to Asia. This half's going to Europe. This half's going to the Southern Hemisphere. Right? We're not, we can't do that. So how do we then get enough workers? The great thing about the mission is that as people go, they start making disciples and raising up an indigenous workforce, which is really cool. Notice how this happened. Look at Acts 18. It's a great, I love this part of Acts, Acts 18. After this, Paul left Athens, right? So he's leaving Greece. He goes to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So this is our introduction to Priscilla and Aquila. And we, we studied this a few weeks ago. We, it was an amazing thing. This is believers that came from Rome. They're living in Corinth. They're tent makers. Paul needs to work, so he's working there in Corinth. And he meets these people, but the next thing you know, they become part of the workforce. And they begin doing ministry. Paul says in Romans 16, man, these guys are the real deal. And we learned as we studied Acts that, uh, that, uh, that, that they ended up going to Ephesus with Paul. And Paul leaves Ephesus to go back to Jerusalem. And they're hanging out in Ephesus. And this guy comes from Egypt by the name of Apollos. And his doctrine was a little off. And Priscilla and Aquila discipled him. And then Apollos went to Corinth. And Apollos continued the work that Paul started. Isn't this amazing? All this workforce is going on. But we wouldn't have this workforce if Paul just hung back in Antioch. This work is starting to multiply two, three, four generations out. Now, why is this important? Because when you stop and think about it, there are just a few things that Jesus asked us to pray for. Just a few things. If you think about it, Jesus, if you go read through the Bible, read through, and just do this. I won't even give you any help. This should just do this on your own. Find every place where Jesus asked people to pray for something. You'll discover there's not many things he asked to pray for. One of them was pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up laborers and to cast them out, throw as far as possible laborers. He's asked us to pray for that. He's asked us to pray. I talked to a guy from Norway this week church planner in Norway. And he says, you know, he said, a lot of people think that Europe is a hard-hearted place and, and, and Europe is bad and, you know, we hear all this stuff about Europe being post-Christian and, and they're really hard. He says, the problem with Europe isn't the non-believers. The harvest is plentiful. The problem is with the harvesters. The people in the church don't want to go. They just want to stay in their church. He says, don't be praying for the secular post-Christian Europeans. Man, God's already opened the door. Pray for our church that they would go. And he's real passionate about this. This is it. He said, okay, well, how do we get this indigenous workforce? The movement of the church was part of the way the workforce increases. We're hoping that happens with our move, that we can begin to see. We need 120 missionaries for Canada. Well, we're not thinking that KBC is going to send 120 missionaries to Canada. But we're hoping that we can raise up 
110 of them out of Canada itself. 110 indigenous Ojibwe and Cree people that will reach their people. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this is the mission. We can raise up an indigenous workforce. So, but in order for that to happen, again, there has to be movement. But movement creates mess. But mess creates multiplication as people step into the mess. But when that movement happens, an indigenous workforce happens. I want to make a couple other quick observations here. Third observation I want to make here is that mission does involve planning. I want to just make this point, and I want to counter it with another point in a second here. But you definitely see that Paul had somewhat of a strategy about what he was doing. It wasn't a five-year business plan or a 20-year business model or anything like that. We'll talk about what his plan was. But you can see it, him in Acts 19, verse 21. He says, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. You get this idea that Paul was about movement. Paul was about doing things that would yield more movement so that this thing would keep pressing to the edges. And one of the things I've really been picked up on Paul's strategy is that his strategy was to make sure that everything he did would feed the movement. Because the movement is the point. You're to be my witnesses to the edges of the earth. This is what I'm asking you to do. This is what you've been left here to do. Do not get consumed about the end of the world. Don't get consumed about the rapture. Don't get consumed about other things. Be consumed with the fact that I want my glory to fill the earth. This is what I want, and I want you to do it. And so for Paul, every strategy was about that. He would, I think you'd see him pick very strategic cities. Ephesus. Ephesus was a part of planting several other churches that came out of Ephesus. Everything was about movement for Paul. I don't think he developed a 20-year church planning plan. I don't think he sat down and said, you know, 1,000 churches by the year 1,000 or 100 churches by the year 100. I don't think he set those kind of strategies in motion. But I think what he did do is he did say, I want to keep this thing moving, and I'm going to get to Rome, and then, Lord willing, I'm going to get to Spain. We're going to keep pressing this to the edges. I like that. I think I've learned and been challenged to say, I want to make sure I have that same heart. Everything we do, how does it increase the multiplication of the mission? But this leads us to our final observation about the mission, that the mission is directed by the Spirit of God. You can see this in Paul in Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. And they went through the region of Fergie and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysiah, they attempted to, to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul had seen the vision immediately. We sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. So you can see there's flexibility. Paul's God didn't change Paul's overall mission, keep this thing moving. Paul's trying to stay in Asia, and God says, I want you to go to Europe. That's what happens. The location changed. But not the overall strategy. Keep this thing moving. Keep it moving. But the Spirit is in control. God has the veto power. God has the, and God directs. And sometimes God throws the curveballs. And sometimes God says, now you're going over here. And, and you go, wow, I would have never thought I would have been there. I would have never thought I would have been there. And I can look back on the past 25 years of my life and say, wow, I would have never thought that this would be the path. 
that I would go from here to here to here to here to here. I would have never thought that. But God has the veto power. And, uh, and, and that's just the way God works. So the objective here, the, the observations, I want to make a few, and I'm going to bring Jeff up here in a second to apply it more directly to our church. When we look at the mission, we realize the mission is about movement. Movement creates mess, but in the mess comes multiplication, and, and, and that's what God wants, and he wants that reproduced over and over and over again to increase workers in the workforce so that more laborers would be raised up, so that more of Christ's glory would be made known. And, 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 and as we strategize, we strategize to that end, trusting that God will direct our steps. That's what this is supposed to be about. That's how this is supposed to work. It's interesting because it challenges uh, our American need for comfort, right? And, and we do have a very, I have a very deep need for comfort. I do, I have a very deep need for that. Uh, you know, I was thinking about that, just, this is a bit trivial, but uh, a couple years ago, Chris, they asked me to help do some music at the youth camp, Honey Rock. And I get on the phone with Chris, I said, hey, Chris, uh, I need my own room. I can't room with high schoolers anymore, right? I don't have it in me. And after I hung up that call, I thought, wow, that was pretty prima donna-ish of me. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's like, listen, I've done enough camps. I can't do it, right? I, I get this. I, I am like, I'm just admitting I need comfort. And I don't like this comfort that comes from the movement. But at the same token, if this is why I'm here, I would rather be uncomfortable and fulfilled in Christ's mission than comfortable and unfulfilled. And, that's that, and so what I want to encourage us to do is recognize that in the course of the transition that's before us as a church, there will be a mess that's left. Movement creates a mess. My challenge to you is don't run from the mess. Step into it. Step into it. This is what God wants. This is God's plan. Now I'm going to bring Jeff up. And he is going to apply it even more directly to us. One of the very unique things of uh, being a pastor is that the mission of the church that we are hearing about and the, the, the call of God on a man and his family uh, come together in very practical and tangible ways. It was those two things coming together the mission of God and the call of God on, on an individual and his family that brought the lessons to us 13 years ago. And it is those two working together that are now taking the lessons to, to every tribe. And so as a church, uh, we have the joy of 13 years of partnership and the, the sorrow of a goodbye, and yet it's all a part of the mission. It's all a part of what God is doing. So as the lessons go, we want to pray in two very specific ways. We want to pray that their going would be mission faithfulness. That as they go, that God would use this well. And we have some specific requests for that. So we want to pray for them. And we want to pray for us as a church, as we remain, that we would be as faithful in remaining as they are in going. It's not that they step into discomfort and we have it easy. We are all engaged in the same mission, and God's call is different on different people. So in just a second, the lessons and the leadership team are going to come up, and we're going to pray for them. I want to share some requests from the lessons for, <clears throat> excuse me, first, and we'll pray for those, uh, for the lessons, we'll pray for us as a church, we'll continue in worship, and then we'll have uh, the picnic time to love on the lessons and hug and say goodbye and 
and enjoy them and thank God for the friendship that we have had with them. Um, but first, here's some, pr- some ways we can pray for them as they go. And these are very much tied to the mission that is, that is taking them on. First, we want to pray for laborers. The point of this change, of the lessons moving to Texas, is to equip laborers to go out into the field for the harvest that our King Jesus intends to have. And so we want to pray for laborers. That's the whole point of the move. So KBC, let's join in praying for laborers. We want to pray for the 12 to 15 trainees that will be at To Every Tribe uh, starting in August for, for the training that is coming up. Uh, they, ha- they will be having classroom time. They'll have time in Mexico actually planting churches, and they'll take trips. And all of this is with an eye to getting them out into the mission field uh, in one to two years, depending on where they're at in the training cycle. So we want to pray for them. God has a lot of work to do in their hearts and their minds and their lives to get them ready to go. So we want to pray for them. We want to pray for Heather as she goes. This is a, a new way for her to uh, be kind of deeply involved in the lives of the women there, both the married and the singles, as they prepare for the challenges that are ahead uh, as, as those families and individuals go out into the mission field. And so Heather has some unique opportunities to speak into their lives, and we want to pray for her uh, as she does that, as that happens. We want to pray for the children, the Leston children that are going. Um, I, I grew up on the mission field. I know moves are... Um, good and bad all at the same time. And so we want to pray for great friends for them as they go. But as it relates to the mission, we want to pray for opportunities for them to participate in what God is doing. Their age is not a disqualifier. Everyone that God has called and saved has a role in what they're doing. And so we want to pray that God would give them opportunities to speak into the lives of the children, of the families that are training, and their neighbors, and and uh, at church, and everywhere that God chooses to put them. We want to pray for them in that. And then lastly, a very practical one, uh, they need housing in Texas. And for housing in Texas to materialize really well, they need to get rid of their housing here. (laughs) Their house here needs to sell so they can buy a house there. So we want to be praying for that process. Um, And again, having moved, there's a lot. I think everybody here has moved. There's a lot involved in that process. It is a complicated process. So we want to pray for them in that process. In all of our moves as a missionary family, my parents always prayed that God would give my sister and I good friends. And he always answered that prayer and it made the move so much easier. And along the way, the moves grew my heart for participating in the mission rather than making my heart heart hard. And so that is a a personal request that I know is important to pray for. But I'm gonna invite the Lestons and the leadership team up Uh, Ted Paul is going to pray for the Lestons, and then I'm going to pray for us as a church uh, as we remain. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are um, coming before you today. We are a church in transition, and yet the mission is the same. You are uniting all things together in Christ, and it is a privilege and a joy to be part of that together as a body. And, and um, today, Father, we, we uh, thank you so much for the Leston family, for their ministry in our um, <coughs> church uh, through the years, and 
we um, don't want to be selfish with them. We want you to uh, use them powerfully for the gospel of Christ. And so as uh, we come today, we are so thankful for them, and we desire for you to use them uh, for the gospel to the utmost. And so we send them with joy. And yet we are in need as well, Father. Um, we thank you that we have the Holy Spirit. We say I have the same Holy Spirit now, um, today, that, that we did when they first came. And it is Christ's church and not our own. It's, and uh, he is building the church, and the gates of hell cannot stand against it. And so this is an, an awesome day, Father, a joyful day. And uh, we, we thank you so much, and we just pray right now, uh, even as they go to Texas, Lord, that you would raise up laborers, 120 for Canada, Lord, to, to train and take the gospel, and, and that we might see uh, a great number of uh, people come to Christ as his inheritance, and uh, that you would raise up more and more laborers for the entire world and uh, to come and train and we pray specifically for the 12 to 15 that are coming in the fall. Even over the summer, Father, would you prepare their hearts uh, for mission, their families? Would you help them, Father, to have um, good sending off from their own families and churches back home and that they would come refreshed and ready to, to uh, hit the road and uh, running to learn more of the mission and, and how to take the gospel of Christ to the world. And Father, we pray for Heather and, and uh, just ask for you to continue to bless her ministry and specifically to, uh, as she speaks into the women in Texas that are coming there and both the singled and the married and just ask that you would, through your spirit, enable her to um, glorify Christ in, in her ministry to them and that they would see um, how it is to follow Christ uh, in the mission. Um, we thank you and, and praise you for the ministry she, she has had here in our body uh, over these last several years as well. We pray for the children, Lord. We pray for Alyssa and Andrew. We pray specifically for new friends for them, Lord, that they might rejoice and, and serve Christ together with, that they might be comforted and, and that they might also uh, pour into them, to their friends, um, and point them to Christ, and that you would use them powerfully in bringing uh, the gospel uh, to their sphere of influence. And we pray for Anna and Amber uh, at college, too, Lord, and while they're apart from the rest of the family, and we know that in Christ and in family that we are still one, still present in spirit. Would you just bless them, too, Father, as they... Uh, um, pursue you uh, in a different area, but apart from the, the rest of their family. And, and thank you, Father. Keep your hand upon them. And Father, we pray for the housing situation, both here and in Texas. God, would you uh, place your hand upon the person you would have to buy their house to come and, and um, to give them a, a fair offer that they would be able to sell their house here and and purchase the new house um, down in Texas. And we know that a house is, is more than a building. It's a place where we minister 
uh, where your gospel goes out. And we, we pray, God, that you would just accomplish that uh, in your time. And we look to you and we thank you. Uh, think of the words of Paul in Philippians 4 that he said that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We thank you and we praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. And Father, we say thank you. Thank you for deciding 13 years ago to bring the lessons to us. Thank you for uh, the faithful investment of uh, the Word of God into our hearts and our minds and our lives for, for that many years. Thank you for the many hours sitting in living rooms and offices and coffee shops talking about following you. Thank you, Father, for the fact that you are very busy building your church, and that you do that through individuals. Thank you for the blessing of the Lestons. And so it is with joy and with sadness that we send them on, and it is with gratitude that we say thank you for bringing them. And as they go, Father, I ask that you would grant uh, Steve and Heather and the children the joy in, in five or ten years of looking back at KBC and seeing fruit from what you chose to invest in us through them. Would you grant them the gift of seeing your purposes accomplished in bringing them here and in taking them on? And I ask also that in, in the coming years that we would be able to uh, look at the Lestons move to Texas and see more than 120 missionaries trained and sent out. We ask that we would have the joy of hearing reports of your work in Canada, Canada and around the world of how you are redeeming people for yourself from every tribe and tongue and nation. And in that, we get to praise you for the privilege of, of playing a little part in that, of sending the lessons on. And so would you bring about the fruit that you deserve, the return on the investment that you have made both in us through the lessons and in the lessons as we send them. Be greatly glorified, and we ask for a glimpse of that, that we can we can worship you and celebrate what you have done. Father, is the, uh, in the, what could be messy months ahead is, is there are voids in church life and, and, and we're filling them and moving around. I ask that you would work in us as a congregation, as your body here, to see a need and step in and fill it. And not wait for somebody else to, not think that somebody else should, but to see the need and fill it. Would you cause us to be busy cleaning up the mess and filling the void and loving each other and enjoying each other and spending time together and getting out into our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our schools and our hobbies to make an impact for you. We're grateful that uh, you brought uh, Pastor Dave DeHaan and his family to us to fill the pulpit. We are grateful for your provision in that. That was a, uh, an arduous journey to find an interim, and we are grateful for your provision. So we praise you that you did that. And we ask that just as you provided for that need, that you would provide for every other need that we have coming up. And Lord, we are excited about the work that you're going to do through Kishwaukee Bible Church. Tomorrow morning, we go back to work and our neighborhoods and our hobbies, and you intend to make yourself known there. You intend to make a difference there. And so we ask that you would help us to be faithful. Would you cause us to be faithful so that in five or ten years, just as there are reports of the work that you're doing in Canada and India and around the world, that we would have 
as many or more reports of what you're, of what you're doing right here among us and around us and in our community. We long for our King, our Redeemer, our Creator, to receive all of the glory that you deserve. Would you make us faithful instruments in that process? Would you make the Lestons faithful instruments in that process? And we look forward to being reunited for all eternity in the throne room of the Lamb who was slain. In your name we pray. Amen. We have one more point in our sermon we have to get through, but I want to just highlight two things just in light of that prayer and what we just sung. And that is as you're praying for the uh, missionaries in training, there's one in particular that should come to your heart quite often, and that's Timothy Ritter, wherever he is, because Tim will be heading down, Lord willing, this fall to be part of the training and Lord willing to be one of the 120 up in Canada. So uh, over the summer, you'll get a chance to hear more about that. But just be praying for Tim in that process because uh, he's got the same transition going. And also, we have on that back table as you walked in, that uh, uh, to my left, I guess, uh, is a sheet where if you want to sign up and just get our email updates of what's going on, we're doing this in partnership. You're our sending church, so we're doing this together. And if you want to be updated, we're going to do the best we can uh, keeping you updated via email. You can sign up there as well. But one more point, right? We've talked about observations from Acts. What have we learned in our study of Acts? We learned about the call of us to make disciples who will gather into churches and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit as we do that. We've learned about the mission, that it involves movement, multiplication, messes, indigenous leaders, all that. And now, what are just a couple observations we can make in closing about the church itself? Because the reality is, is that, that Christ is building his church. So what are observations? There's a couple things that I want to point out to you about the church that I think will be important. The first observation is this, that churches were planted. When we studied Acts, we saw that they were planted by teams, and these teams were affirmed by leadership. This is actually an important point. We can't lose it. In Acts 13, 1 through 3, we saw that as they were gathering, they had these prophets together. We get the whole list of names of the prophet. In verse 2, it says, when they were worshiping with the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, I guess we probably shouldn't have had a picnic today, huh? Right? <laughs> after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, so, so what happened in that process? You know, when God calls somebody, the interesting thing is that call occurs in continuity with what's already gone on before. We have to be very careful. Sometimes there are a lot of independent people that want to get their own calling and they run and do their own thing. And we've seen this littered throughout church history of, of cults and cult leaders and people that, that get their own call, do their own thing. When the reality is that, that here, you know, picture Paul. He's, riding, he's, he's going to Damascus. Jesus blinds him. Jesus tells him, you're going to be my witnesses to, to kings and rulers and stuff. And then Paul spends 14 years learning from Jesus. And what is the first thing Paul does? We learn this in Galatians chapter 2. He takes everything he just learned from Jesus and he submits it to the apostles. And says, I don't want to run in vain. I need your approval before I go. And then he goes off and he's serving. And then who does God speak to when it's time for him to go to the nations? God speaks to the elders to the leaders of the church. It's done in continuity. It's done in relationship. 
This is super important in the church that we recognize this and that we, we recognize it from a, a standpoint of danger. We need to be careful of self-appointed prophets and self-appointed pastors and self-appointed leaders. That's a danger. We also have to remember that this is part of the process. I think about Jeff's ordination a few weeks ago. Jeff Johnson would you know, raised on the mission field. His dad was a missionary, became a Christian, had a call to ministry. He went through training here. He spent, you know, 13 years training here, 12 years training here. And then what did he do? He submitted his life and his doctrine to an ordination council of other pastors that had been ordained and the leaders of our church. And we laid hands on him and affirmed him and said, you are now in continuity with those that have gone before you. This is how the ministry goes. This is why we do this. This is why... It's important for us not just to say, hey, we feel called to go train missionaries, see ya, but that it's submitted to a leadership team and a leadership team speaks to it. And that we do this together in continuity. And if any of these guys had said, we think this is wrong or a bad move, we wouldn't have gone. Because we do this in continuity. We, you, you know, this, is what, this is how this is supposed to work. I want to make another observation uh, about the church as we kind of wrap this up. Observation, second observation from our study of Acts about the church. The church was planted through what I want to just simply call gospel conversion. They preached Christ, right? And this is a reminder for every church in every age. Don't lose Christ, right? This is the message that converts. I can juggle chainsaws that are on fire and bring a crowd of people, but it's not going to fix anything in anyone's life. It won't convert them. Paul in Acts 17, notice he's going on this trip to Thessalonica. And it says in verse 2, after he's gone into the synagogue of the Jews, it's Acts 17, I'm in verse 2, Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. He brought the Word of God and the message of the Word, which is Jesus. And he taught it, he proclaimed it, he extolled it. This is what is always about the church. It's what I appreciate about you guys, is that is your demand on me and the next guy who steps in this space, that it is about Christ and him crucified. But kids, this message is for you. When it's your turn to sit in your parents' seats, it's about Christ, it's about him being proclaimed in his word. That is where conversion happens, that's where lives change it doesn't matter how nice you are. It doesn't matter what kind of uh, excitement you can bring to the table. There's a lot of exciting and glittery things. It is what Christ has done for you that will change your life. And that's where the conversion comes. So if we're going to talk about things in this world, we want to talk about it through the lens of Christ. If someone wants to talk politics with me, I'll talk politics, but we'll talk about eventually the king of kings, the one who rules all the kings. If you want to talk about culture, that's great. I want to talk about culture with you, but I want to talk about the fact that Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God to earth, a whole new culture. If you want to talk about morality, that's great, but I'm not just going to be the moral police. I want to talk to you about how Jesus is your righteousness. Right? I want to be Christ-centered. That's what this is about. The next observation I want to make as we wrap this up, actually just a couple more quick ones here, that because we've already covered this one, the new believers were gathered into spiritual communities in Acts chapter 2, we read verse 42 already, but as we read verse 42 already, let's keep reading into verse 43. Notice the way that these believers, how committed they were. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and 
All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings, distributing the proceeds to all and it, as anyone had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day as those who were being saved. You see this? They did this together in community. The mission of Christ, the mission of his church is we do it together. The church is not an independent thing. I'm not picking the church that's best for me. I'm joining what Christ is building. And we get to do it together in the good and the bad, in the, in the good days and the messy days. And we care and we meet each other's needs and the community watches this and says there's something different in that community than in the Moose Lodge. Guys get together in the moose and they watch the Bears game, but man, I'll tell you what, I'd rather be eating tacos with those people on a Sunday afternoon than drinking beer on a Monday night in the moose hall with these guys. There's something different there because there's a commitment, a Christ commitment that says we are one. We are one body. Okay, final observation I want to make about the church we learned from Acts, that the church was also interrelated. The churches were interrelated. What do I mean? couple of observations. Number one, you think about this, the churches, all the churches had a connection. When the Jerusalem Council spoke in Acts 15, it was meant to be applied in all the churches because, you see, it wasn't each church working out their own theology. They all had a common belief. They believed and they, they, they were surrounded around the apostles' teaching. And then the churches, they all contributed to each other's needs in Acts 11.28. And Paul recruited from one church and sent people to another place. It was amazing to think about it. You know, Timothy, and he takes Timothy with him, and he goes to another place, and he leaves Timothy here, and Titus there, and where there were needs, they just cared for each other. It wasn't, you know, it's not the goal of Kishwaukee to say, we'll do it all. We'll have our own programs, our own this, our own that. We don't need anyone else. It's only us. That isn't the way God designed the church. When God first formed the church, he formed them to be interrelated, to care for one another, to make up where they were lacking to be in union. So what's our application to this? Let's apply this to our church and then we'll, we'll sing in response. I want to think about something. We've already benefited from a lot of this stuff already. I mean, just, just first of all, we've benefited because you're committed to Christ. You're committed to the message of Christ. You're committed to a proper understanding of the way leadership should be done and the passing on of the baton and the role of leaders to affirm new leaders. You guys really do care for one another. This commitment is seen. I see it. And I think about how we even were impacted uh, by the interrelatedness of the church. A few years ago, we, our, uh, all of our leaders of our music teams were like, hey, uh, we need to step back for a while. And so what did we do? We called Grace Church of DuPage, who planted us, and we said, hey, you got a music guy? And they said, yeah, we got this guy, Matt. And so a couple years ago, Matt came from another church. I'm moving on. We need an interim guy. Jeff gets in touch with somebody from New Covenant Church in St. Charles. The next thing you know, Dave and his family are here. Right? Isn't this amazing? We had an issue a couple years ago on our elder team where there was something that came up and we felt like we needed to bring in another elder. So we called another elder in to speak into the situation because we said, hey, we just want to make sure we're not tuning ourselves to ourselves here. Let's bring in someone else. And so we've brought in other elders from time to time. I've been brought into other churches that have been having problems and say, hey, would you just listen in as an elder and speak into this? This is the way this works. 
One of the joys we have in ministry is we're not alone. And we're not about empire building, right? Isn't to brand KBC and, and, and just start, you know, putting franchises all over the world. We are a part of Christ's church, what he's building. And we're going to be faithful with what he's given us and work in partnership along the way with people that we can. This is the church. It's the great thing about the church. And so what I would like us to do is sing in response to that. So why don't you stand, and we're going to sing one of my favorite songs, and I, and I want us just to sing it out, because I think it's a powerful testimony of everything that has happened here this morning. So let's sing together. He did. Well, Steve, thank you for 13 years of faithful exposition. We are grateful. Thank you for joining us at Kishwaukee Bible Church. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H, bible.org. Bible